0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. My name is Dennis, and today, Kevin and I are joined by Terry Myers, Executive Director of the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society, which is based here in Colorado. We spend most of the time talking about bighorn sheep in Colorado and the challenges they face. The conversation got going very quickly, so we hit the record button and just started talking so be patient with our first couple of minutes as we're hashing out a few details and launch right into the podcast. Without further ado, Terry Myers.
1: Yeah, it's there. the raffle's in Wednesday, but we're going to be doing other stuff throughout the summer. So, um, you know, probably right after this ends, we'll be doing something else. So um, we, we don't have to get it out soon, and I can just mention that there are you know, stuff available. I would like to get that out there if possible. I mean, if, if you don't mind me mentioning that stuff, I would like to mention it.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, I think we could shoot to get it out in the next couple of days. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and Kevin, we have one scheduled for Friday to publish that I can just push to next week. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, and then I can work to try to get this one done by, again, at, I mean earliest maybe tomorrow sometime we could push it out to the world
1: oh wow yeah that'd be great i mean these these raffles are the ones that we normally draw at our our banquet which was canceled so we lost all our banquet sales um but you know we're doing okay but um yeah it would be great to get a little more interest before we we close it down next week
2: Okay, well, i had never thought about that impact on uh, as far as COVID stuff, like uh, your guys' raffles and stuff like that. So I take it you guys aren't having your big event this year either?
1: Right. We were supposed to pull these winners of these raffles at our banquet in March. Um, we had to cancel, and we had to work with the state to get our drawing postponed to give us more time to sell tickets. Otherwise, but, we would have been way down.
2: Well, I think we're wasting good content. Oh well, Dennis has a recording. I, so. I do have a
0: recording, but we can we can jump right back into it. Um, yeah, so maybe Terry, just give us um, well, one maybe we'll welcome to our podcast, and then just give us a little rundown of uh, who you are and, and why uh, why wild sheep are important to you.
1: Sure, um, I'm the executive director of the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society. Uh, The society has been in existence uh, since 1975. We're an affiliate of the National Wild Sheep Foundation, but we've actually been in existence longer than National Wild Wild Sheep Foundation. Uh, We're based here in Colorado. We do a large portion of our work in Colorado, but we have done uh, bighorn sheep conservation projects throughout the West. Um, We have about 800 members. Um, We represent people from over 40 states and uh, as well as Canada and Mexico and you know I think that wild sheep are kind of the iconic species of the West at least to me and you know they're the the state mammal for Colorado the wildlife agency wears a patch of a bighorn on their shoulders um, and I think that for a lot of people bighorn sheep just kind of represent the Mountain West, the ruggedness, the, the, the wilderness places that we all love and love to visit and uh, want to protect. And um, I think that it's an easy uh, progression to want to tech, protect those species that are icon- iconic of uh, those those uh, habitats that we love. And uh, and bighorn sheep are facing a lot of challenges throughout the West, and, and they need our help. Um, they're, they're not doing as well as many of our other big game species.
2: That That's interesting because that was kind of going to be one of my questions for you is I drive through my valley, right? And I can see 50 elk. I might even see 150 elk if I take a couple back roads this time of year. But maybe I see five sheep. Why why are there not the same numbers of sheep that there are elk?
1: Well, Bighorn sheep in Colorado face many challenges, and a lot of them we're probably pretty familiar with. You know, we know that there's a loss and fragmentation of habitat because, uh, you know, every year we have more and more people. We have more development, um, more um, more impacts to those areas that are very important to bighorn sheep. There are some other issues like habitat, but, you know, we're really not short on habitat for bighorn sheep in Colorado um, as far as quality habitat. Uh, we do have those impacts from recreation and things like that. Uh, there's maybe some some predator issues, but they're really not limiting factor in, in a lot of herds throughout the state for bighorns. The one thing that uh, is challenging our bighorn herds all over the Western Slope is disease. And disease has been a factor for these issues for as long as we have been here. Um, and that's the primary reason why we have not been able to recover bighorns the way we have recovered all the other species that were in great decline around the turn of the the 20th century. You know, we, we were seeing declines in all the big game species back then in the early 1900s. And through the efforts of conservationists and, and hunters and, and the groups that were formed to protect wildlife, we were able to bring all those populations back to really incredible numbers except with the exception of two species and one being the bison and the other being bighorn sheep um, and so disease is is a challenge for bighorns and it continues to be a challenge because we have really left the vectors on the landscape the the vectors of that disease are domestic sheep and we have domestic sheep grazing all over western colorado as you might be aware and very often in bighorn sheep habitat and so our bighorn sheep continue to be exposed to the bacteria that cause the these uh, respiratory uh, illnesses that really hinder our herds from growing to where they could be. Can
0: Can you talk about the disease itself, and and or maybe there's multiples. Um, in like, do they affect domestic sheep? Are they killing domestic sheep, or are they are domestic sheep just carriers? Um, and they really wreak havoc on wild sheep.
1: Well, for the most part, domestic sheep are are not seriously affected by these bacteria that they carry that, that do affect uh, bighorn sheep. They domestic sheep can get pneumonia. They can suffer from pneumonia. Um, you know, they might see less weight gain in, in sheep that are suffering from pneumonia. But it's not really a big issue for the domestic sheep producer. Um, but when these disease when these bacteria were brought over when domestic sheep were brought over you know 200 300 years ago wild sheep were naive to these bacteria and they had no defenses built up and they still really haven't uh, developed those defenses and so um as as exposure continues to happen uh we still see this suppression of these wild herds and the only the only real way to prevent that from happening now is keeping domestic sheep and wild sheep separate um, we can talk about some some ideas that people have on on other ways that we we might be able to accomplish some good things for bighorns but really separation is recognized as the only real solution at this point to keep disease from affecting wild sheep
2: sounds kind of uh, like what's going on in our world today you have basically a a asymptomatic possible asymptomatic carriers bringing something to someone who has no immunity built up for something and social distancing is the best answer
1: really i i think it's a good analogy it works you know um, the biologists and the scientists would have some issues with comparing them because one's a virus and one's a bacteria but really it's the same solution right we we have to keep our separation our social distancing uh bighorns and domestics need to be distanced a lot further than than humans do to keep the disease from spreading um, but it really is a good analogy i think and i'm hopeful that people have a better understanding of the bighorn sheep domestic sheep disease issue uh after experiencing what we are going through right now
2: hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So in in one maybe difference as well, I was uh, reading an article that you published a couple of years ago, um, any wild sheep that are found anywhere as close, right, where they mingle with domestic sheep, they're typically euthanized. Is that right?
1: The policy of Colorado Parks and Wildlife is to euthanize bighorn sheep that are known to come into contact or close proximity to domestic sheep, and really, that's a, a policy that the RMBs supports because the risk of disease is so great, and the outcome can be so devastating for wild sheep herds. It's it's really the only solution we have right now. We can't treat uh, we can't treat those sheep that come into contact because there's there's nothing that's been proven to be effective. Uh, some people have suggested that we capture them and uh, take them to research facilities to to study them that's not really feasible either because there are limited research facilities in the state where we can have where we can hold bighorn sheep and it's not feasible to, to transport those sheep to those facilities so the only solution we have is to euthanize them and it's fortunately we don't have to do that very often but unfortunately, it's probably because we don't detect the events when they happen very often. It's not that they're not happening, but it's not very common for us to be in the right place at the right time to detect those, those interactions and to be able to intervene.
0: Sure, to, to actually be maybe in the mountains when they cross paths.
1: Right. And a lot of times what will happen is somebody will see the interaction and you know they can't report it right away you know when you're up in the mountains you might not know who to contact or uh, you might not have cell service you know it might be a couple of days before that occurrence is reported and then there is really no way to track down that bighorn uh, that were that were exposed or potentially exposed and euthanize them so we have a lot we had a, have a lot of uh, what we suspect we have a lot of unreported contacts and then we also have contacts that are reported at a later date when we really can't do anything about it. So the the times when we actually get a timely report and we can go out and do something is, is not very often.
2: So what about, what about goats, um, domestic goats? Cause I know pack goats are used a fair amount in the back country. Do they present the same issue?
1: That's a that's a good question, and there are a lot of people looking into that right now. If you look in the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Bighorn Sheep and Mountain Goat Hunting Brochure, they ask you to leave your pack goats at home. And the reason is that pack goats are known to carry the same bacteria that domestic sheep do that cause diseases in wild sheep. Um, there have not been very many documented cases of of transmission between domestic goats and wild sheep but there have been some recent genetic studies that have shown that uh, the exposure that wild sheep have had to these um, these bacteria throughout the west have almost exclusively been introduced by strains that are carried by domestic sheep and domestic goats. So there is genetic proof out there that there has been transmission in the past. We just don't know when that has happened. And so um, there have been some, some testing studies done on domestic pack goats that show that the prevalence of these bacteria is, is much lower uh, in goats than it is in domestic sheep. And so there has been some question about whether we really need to restrict the use of Domestic goats in the backcountry, but I think that the wildlife professionals right now are erring on the side of caution. You know, there may be an opportunity in there in the future to uh, to develop some kind of a testing system and kind of a, a certification system that you know pack goats are are uh, bacteria free or something like that. You know, that's a that's a ways down the road, and there are some there are some challenges to doing that, but it's probably worth. Uh, looking into further. But for now, you know, our advice is to leave the pack goats out of occupied bighorn sheep habitat.
2: So, now, <clears throat> how close do these animals actually have to get to each other? And how long is it an issue? I mean, obviously, they don't need to get to where they're commingling and uh, a, a domestic sheep is wandering with the wild sheep herd. Or, or, or what? I mean, what does it look like? What's the distance and time required for it?
1: Uh, you know, we don't fully understand that, but I think that just 10 years ago, our understanding was that we really needed nose-to-nose contact. And that has changed um, for for one really significant reason, in that uh, at a research facility in South Dakota, they had um, bacteria-free bighorn sheep in a pen and they had domestic sheep in another pen about 300 feet away that had bacteria and somehow there was contamination across that distance so we understand now that it is possible uh, to have transmission via aerosol we don't know the distance that's obviously an unnatural situation where you have them penned together in the same areas all the time you know Um, it's not something you would encounter in the wild my feeling is that you probably in the wild still need some sort of nose to nose contact, but that the time for a transmission is probably not very long. The time needed for a transmission, you know, if that bacteria is present present in the mucus and, you know, in, in the aerosol coming out of the nose, there can be a transmission fairly quickly.
2: So what about if like a, uh, like some domestic sheep are grazing somewhere, say they've been, grazing underneath Waterhorn Peak. You know, that's a pretty common spot. And the next day or two days later, wild sheep filter into that area for whatever reason. Is there any possibility of transmission there? Um, or is is it absolutely there won't be any transmission?
1: Well, our understanding is that the bacteria does not live for very long outside its host. So there's, there's not really... A good chance for there to be a transmission there. our Our feeling is that that's that's not a viable source of transmission. Um, the bacteria simply does not live very long outside the host. so there's probably no concern with uh, wild sheep picking it up from from the dirt or from the grass where domestic sheep have been grazing or from the feces, things like that.
0: um when when they're in the field, you know, it's like, say they get close to each other. Are they just curious about, you know, like a domestic sheep? Like, is he just really curious about what the heck this other thing is running around and that, and that's why they get maybe too close. So they kind of sniff each other.
1: Yeah. You know, bighorn sheep are gregarious. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they like to, they like to hang out in groups. Um, I think that, I think my, my personal opinion is that it probably varies according to the time of year. I think that sometimes bighorn sheep might not be attracted to domestic sheep but you know we're not really seeing that for sure obviously in the fall during the rut when the the rams are on the move looking for ewes um, they're going to be more attracted to those domestic sheep flocks but we've seen interactions in the summer between domestic ewes and wild ewes and so so that's not a, a given you know domestic sheep actually sound similar to wild sheep if you've ever heard a wild sheep uh, out in the wild make a call it sounds a lot like a domestic sheep um you know they obviously there's obviously an attraction there um and so that's why that's why we need such a with such a great separation because there is there is the ability for you know these wild sheep to smell or see or hear domestic sheep and actually go exploring go seeking them out
2: Mm-hmm so what are some of the strategies to help keep them separate at this moment? I mean, you and I both know that it's easy to go out in the summer and find big flocks of domestic sheep around, um, in several of the mountain basins. And it's a lot harder, a lot easier, I think, to find the domestic than it is to find the wild sheep. Um, what are good strategies?
1: That's, that's a difficult one, you know, because I said that separation is the key. So there are a list of best management practices that were developed by, uh, the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies Wild Sheep Working Group. They, they put together a list of best management practices when you have both species on the landscape. What you can do, you know, and these, these include, um, uh, herding practices for wild sheep, you know, where you, where you bed them, how many guard dogs you have, things like that. The problem is that none of this has actually been proven to be effective. It's, it's, it's kind of like intuitive, what you think might help the situation. Um, And their document actually says they should not be relied upon to achieve effective separation. So we focus on federal land management practices that would exclude domestic sheep from bighorn sheep range when possible and it's a it's a tough it's a tough topic because domestic sheep producers in western colorado really rely on those uh, public land uh, domestic sheep grazing allotments um, and so it's a difficult situation you know one solution that we've been working on in the last couple of years we've been working closely with our partners at National Wildlife Federation, uh, the NWF has a Wildlife Conflict Resolution Program, and one of the issues they work on is domestic sheep, bighorn sheep conflicts. And the way they do that is through a voluntary allotment retirement. And so they reach out to producers who have allotments in high-risk areas, and they ask them if they are interested in essentially taking um, an incentive to waive their permit back to the federal agency. It's, it's kind of like a buyout. And um, one key component of these incentives to waive is buy-in from the federal agency. So you have to have an agreement with the federal agency that if this permittee waives their permit back, then the federal agency is not going to turn around and issue that permit to another domestic sheep grazer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we get, um, various responses from the federal agencies, it's office to office. Some of them are very willing to work with us. Um, just like some permittees are very willing to work with us and others, you know, kind of want to keep doing what they're doing. And this is all 100% voluntary. We make it known that the offer is out there. And, um, in the last two years, National Wildlife Federation, has completed uh, allotment retirements on on four allotments in Western Colorado, and it's it's just the tip of the iceberg on what's available. I mean, there's really a lot of opportunity out there um, if we can get some domestic sheep producers on board. The other key component to that is raising funds for these allotment retirements. Uh, it's all through it's all through private donations and donations from from conservation organizations. It's it's all the funds that we're raising. Um, through things like our raffles and our annual banquets and and our our private donors and it's so important to us and we are really probably limited right now by the funds available so um, we have we have just boundless opportunity out there to work with producers on allotment retirements but we have to we have to know that we can fund them first and we also have to know that the federal agencies are willing to uh, vacate those allotments if, if a deal is reached. But I see it as a real path forward, um, which allows the producer to retool their operation, perhaps move to a lower risk allotment, perhaps convert to cattle. There's a lot of different options available um, that we can look at, or just get out of the domestic sheep business and go do something else. But um, it's, it's probably better than Courtroom and, and paying attorneys to to hash this out.
0: So that's a that's an interesting point. So if they're able, like if they want to retire their allotment or they want to change their allotment from sheep to say cattle, is that that that's a possibility for them, or they would maybe get a different geographic area to maybe run cattle in? Like how would that work?
1: It, it kind of it, it's all situation specific, and it also depends on what the federal agency is willing to do. Now a lot of these domestic sheep allotments are at high elevation above timberline and, and it's just too high for cattle. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't graze cattle at high elevation. So unfortunately there are a lot of domestic sheep allotments in western Colorado that are not suitable for cattle grazing. Now, some of them are and if the federal agency is willing to go through a NEPA process to convert those those allotments that, that are suitable for cattle to cattle, that's that's a good solution. Um, it's obviously difficult for a domestic sheep producer To convert to cattle because they don't have the same they don't have the same infrastructure needs for those two species and they don't have the same feed you know um, pasture needs and things like that so it's it's not easy Um, I'll be honest there are not a lot of vacant allotments out there available to move domestic sheep you know we have bighorn sheep throughout western Colorado. Um, and so it's hard to find vacant allotments, number one, and number two, vacant allotments that have good separation from wild sheep where we feel comfortable moving domestic sheep there. So that's a tougher solution to find, but um, mm. there are probably, they're, they're probably opportunities, you know, if we looked at a at the bigger picture and, and looked at cattle producers, you know, if, if there were cattle producers that were willing to move around, I just think that. I just think that if we open our minds to solutions we'd have a lot more opportunities available Uh, and it just takes sitting down at the table but in the meantime we really have to ensure that the the decisions that the federal agencies are making protect wild sheep Um, and we see we've seen a a large effort to really kind of rubber stamp approvals of domestic sheep grazing allotments and, and kind of keep the status quo as is which is really the status quo has been suppressing our sheep populations, our wild sheep populations for over hundred years. And it's not a viable alternative in the future.
2: No, now you made important just back just a little bit, you started talking about the fundraising and stuff. And then I don't know if we were recording yet, but you mentioned that this whole COVID thing has changed your fundraising this year, right? That has made it a lot more difficult because you weren't necessarily having the same, uh, rendezvous or similar types of events that are fundraising events um and also that you do a lot of habitat improvement now like in say elk stuff habitat improvement is maybe like creating you know some some positive areas for them to feed or whatever what does that look like in the sheep world
1: habitat improvement in colorado in the in, in the sheep world largely involves um, thinning, thinning uh, forests, forested areas, uh, areas of heavy understory, you know, oak brush areas, areas that have become really overgrown, especially on winter range. Uh, winter range is really important. Uh, and a lot of our winter range uh, due to fire suppression has become um, really overgrown with uh, mountain shrubs, as well as, you know, pinyon juniper, um, our, our forests have have kind of encroached on a lot of that habitat. So when we do habitat work in Colorado, it's largely uh, thinning, thinning projects because bighorn sheep like areas where they can see well. They don't like being in enclosed forests or enclosed canopies where they can't see predators. And so um, also also um, uh, prescribed fire to uh, reset the the serial stage of that habitat bring it back to an earlier stage where the the shrubs are more nutritious, the grasses and shrubs are more nutritious for the sheep. Uh, That's also very important. But like I said before, you know, we don't have a shortage of habitat in Colorado. Um, Other states do a whole lot of, uh, especially in the southwest, Arizona, Nevada, do a whole lot of uh, wildlife uh, water projects, guzzlers. We don't have a water problem in Colorado. Even our desert sheep herds. Are along, uh, you know, major river corridors, the the Dolores River and the Gunnison River, and so they don't have a water issue. So we don't really do a lot of water projects in Colorado. It's primarily thinning projects and burning projects. Um, and and you're right, we uh, this, this COVID-19 thing has really kind of set back our fundraising this this year a little bit. We We usually have an annual rendezvous planned in the springtime, which is our biggest fundraiser of the year. We have about 500 people attend that every year, Uh, have big live and silent auctions and raffles and and all kinds of things. And it's our our biggest fundraiser. Unfortunately, about two weeks before the event this year in March, uh, we had to cancel it. Uh, We're still conducting several raffles, including raffles for the statewide Bighorn Sheep Tag. A statewide mountain goat tag and statewide pronghorn tag, and those those raffles are coming to a conclusion um, on May six May thirteenth is the last day to purchase tickets, so it's coming up in about a week, um, and then we'll draw the winners on the sixteenth. So that's a big fundraiser for us every year. For those who aren't familiar with the the program, uh, we get to retain twenty five percent of the proceeds, the the gross proceeds from those raffles, and then we Send seventy-five percent to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and then there is a project advisory committee on which we we sit, and we sit down once a year in May, and we look at all the projects, the proposed projects that have been submitted throughout the state uh, to spend that money on, and and we we have an all-day meeting, and we allocate all the funds that have been raised through the auctions and raffles to projects throughout the state, and so. That entire 75% that gets sent to CPW is spent on projects to benefit the species. Our remaining 25% that we retain is spent through our own grant and aid program where people can apply for and receive funding for projects. And one of the, one of the big projects um, uh, that we've been funding lately have been these allotment retirements because we think it's very important and it's a very great solution to the biggest problem that wild sheep in Colorado have. And so if people are interested in participating, you know, we run raffles throughout the year to to um, add money to our grant and aid program. Our website is bighornsheep.org. You can go to the website and follow the raffle link and uh, purchase a lot of tickets and uh, we'll do a lot of good things with the money.
2: That's probably my best chance to go on a sheep hunt this year. <laughs> I was gonna say,
0: what uh, what are, do you do? You by chance have odds for people? Uh, pardon? Do you, Do you have like what what their odds are? Right, like because um, it's uh, state well, bighorn tag.
1: The uh, the odds for winning the statewide tag, oh, I'll admit, are not very good.
0: Because
1: okay. <laughs> everybody wants to sheep hunt, right? I don't know if you've looked at the number of sheep applications lately, but, um, you know, in 2017, we had about 18,000 people applying for uh, about 300 bighorn sheep tags in the state. In 2018, they changed the system where you did not have to front the money when you applied for a sheep license. And applications jumped from about 17,800 to about Uh, (laughs) 41,000.
0: I I, I feel like that's going to be remembered, right? Like 15, 20 years from now, I'll be like, remember that year they didn't charge us for this?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so the next year, you know, they changed the system again. And they started, they started charging you for uh, a preference point, you know, 50 or $100. And it dropped to 28,000. So it dropped a little bit. But I've heard rumors that the numbers are back up to about 31,000 this year. So hmm. there's obviously far, far more interest than there is opportunity available. And, and I've always told people, you know, every time, every year when the draw results come out, I hear a lot of people complaining about the system because it's not a straight preference point system for sheep. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's still a luck of a draw thing, right? You have a little bit, you have a statistic. To, statistically better chance of drawing if you have more points but you can draw on your fourth year of applying in our system and mm-hmm. obviously people have been applying their whole life and they get frustrated when they see people with fewer points drawing and they want to change the system and i always say let's not change the system let's just make more sheep you know let's increase the opportunity um, and then all of our draw odds will get better and so that's that's where i'd like to focus you know let's Let's make more sheep. We have a we have an opportunity to have a lot more sheep in Western Colorado than we have currently, if we can reduce the risks and and reduce the effects of disease on these herds that are continually on this up and down cycle uh, because of uh, repeated exposure to the, the pathogens.
2: So, how much could we increase the size of the sheep herd? because i'm I'm on here buying a raffle ticket right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question and and it's it's you know i've I've asked that of wildlife managers before, if we didn't have a disease issue, how many sheep could we have? And they think about it, and i this is what I've heard sometimes is they think about it, and they say, well, well maybe we probably couldn't have much more because of disease. And I said, no, no. if we didn't have, you know it's so hard to. It's so hard to imagine a landscape where we don't have a disease issue that it's hard to really, nobody wants to put a pencil to paper and say, this is how many we can have, because there are a lot of other factors. But, you know, we have herds in Western Colorado um, that in the early 1980s, we issued 30 ram licenses in one unit. That unit today has four ram licenses, up from one last year, and it has about uh, 80 or 100 sheep. I think it has 80 sheep in it now. We used to issue 30 ram licenses, and one year we killed 29 rams out of 30 hunters in that unit. And so clearly, you know, there's another herd where we used to have over 400 bighorns. And and over the course of 20-some years, they used that that herd as a, um, a source herd for other transplants throughout the state. And they pulled over 350 sheep out of that herd and put them in other places in Colorado over the course of about 28 years. Then there was a disease event. There was an interaction with domestic sheep. There was a disease event. The herd crashed ultimately to about 35 sheep, and it has remained at that population of 35 for almost two decades now, about two decades now. So there are cases like this throughout Western Colorado where we have had far larger populations in the past, and we know we can grow wild sheep there if we can. Get rid of the vectors that are spreading the disease, and then clear those diseases from those herds and regrow them. So, you know, my opinion is we have we have about seven thousand uh, Rocky Mountain bighorns in Colorado right now. There's no reason we couldn't have ten thousand if we could reduce the the disease risk, and probably more. You know, another thing I like to point out that, you know, we like to think about bighorn sheep being the the ungulate of the the most rugged habitat in the state you know that's where you find them. you go to the high peaks the the rocky canyons and and um that's where you find bighorns and largely i think that's because that's where bighorns persisted when they were under the most pressure over 100 years ago you know that's the places they were able to survive and so that's the places where we our our herds remained they were extirpated through large portions of their range but those places that were most inaccessible is where they remain. But if you go back and you read old accounts from when white people first came to Colorado, you'll learn that there were bighorn sheep everywhere. They weren't just uh, they weren't restricted to these these rockiest, highest peaks like they they often are today. And so I think that when you realize where we used to have bighorns, you realize. That we could probably have a lot more bighorns on the landscape in the future if we worked at it. You know, another issue that we haven't brought up is, is uh, hobby flocks—people who have five or ten or thirty-five acres and they have five domestic sheep in their backyard. You know, there's no there's there's no restrictions on that. There's no uh, guidelines for how to keep those domestic sheep, and so that's another. That's another big source of um, concern uh, when we're speaking about disease and bighorn sheep, because especially when these, these bighorn sheep go on walkabouts in the fall when during the rut, they can easily encounter uh, small flocks of uh, of domestic sheep, which really have no re- regulations associated with them. Like the, f- the large uh, bands that we see on public land have. So, so that's another issue entirely that, we could probably spend a whole hour talking about in itself.
2: Hmm.
0: Interesting. What, So, um, like is, is yeah, and, and I know you, you kind of touched on this, but it's still a kind of a question, you know, since we're in the time of COVID and vaccines are like what everybody's raving about. Um, what, like, is it just not advantageous to study? You know, you kind of hinted that we, we don't have the facilities, um, But I mean, is it theoretically possible that we we could find a treatment for the disease?
1: Well, you know, wild wild sheep conservation organizations have spent millions and millions of dollars looking at the possibility of vaccinations, both for wild and domestic sheep. And it's it's probably too complicated to get into on this podcast, but just to say um, the the respiratory disease is, is multifactorial. You know, there are a lot of different bacteria that cause problems. Um, there are different strains of bacteria. You know, you can have, you can have a a wild sheep herd. Many of our wild sheep herds obviously have already been exposed to the bacteria that, that, um, cause these respiratory events and they have somewhat recovered and they are still carrying these bacteria. The problem is, is that the bacteria, can can mutate, and there are hundreds and hundreds of different strains of the same bacteria. And you can have an exposure to a new strain of the same bacteria, and it can completely wipe out a herd that has been exposed and recovered from a different strain strain in the past. So that's the problem with uh, coming up with a vaccine: is that it's hard to develop a vaccine that will work on all these different strains and all these different bacteria you know in all these different areas throughout the west so, and so the short answer is that a, a, a vaccine for either wild sheep or domestic sheep is really not feasible in the near future
2: so uh, you mentioned back along you know a long time ago when white sellers first showed up what do we think the max population of sheep in colorado was at, at one point was <laughs> it 10000 was it 200000 like elk?
1: You know, I don't know that I've ever seen an estimate for Colorado specifically. You know, the, the west wide estimate has been anywhere from like one to two million wild sheep. I think there are about 80 or 82,000 now. Uh, so it's really incredible when you think about the drastic decline west wide. And, and I would say that the scale is probably similar in Colorado, you know, um, so how many sheep? You know, we probably had a couple hundred thousand bighorns in Colorado at one time. We, we really have no idea. You know, I, I was reading just the other day an account from 1859. Um, it was actually a diary of George Jackson who discovered gold at Idaho Springs, which started the gold rush in Colorado in 1859. And he reports seeing a thousand bighorn sheep on the hillside above his camp on on january 1st 1859 can you imagine a herd of a thousand bighorns and you know obviously (laughs) you know (laughs) that that is in that's in one in one location in one valley in colorado so um our minds can run wild thinking about what might have been but we don't really have a good idea we don't have good records and so all we can do is speculate
2: Wow. Thousand. That's insane. So, um, say, say someone wanted to go on a sheep hunt. Like I've ran into guys that have been at various shows. One guy I talked to was like that his dream is to hunt sheep every year. Right. And that if he didn't draw a tag, he would go with a friend that drew a tag. And if neither of them drew a tag, they would hire an outfitter in British Columbia or something, right? Which which is not a cheap hunt at all. So, if someone wants to hunt sheep, and say they say they're not on every year, but say they want to do it every three years, what would be their best route?
1: Um, their best route would probably, to, to be honest, would probably be to start putting money into an account weekly and make that that sum you put in weekly as big as you can, because the prices keep going up, you know, I, I tell people, if you, if you want to make sure that you go on one sheep hunt in your lifetime, you better start saving your money now and, and plan on paying an outfitter somewhere like Alaska or the Yukon or British Columbia and, and just go do it because you might go your whole life without, without um, drawing a tag. Um, the, you know, I, I have a, I have a friend who is very lucky in the raffles. And he says, play as many raffles as you can, even if you put one ticket in. He's like, he said, buy, buy as many, play as many of the sheep raffles as you can. Now, he's extremely lucky. And since 2006, he has won seven hunts (laughs) by playing the raffles. (laughs) Uh, Most of us could not ever hope to be that lucky. So, I mean, that's, that's another, that's another option. But, you know, raffle, raffle odds are often just as bad or worse than, than, drawing a tag in the state draw odds, you know. Um there are other ways you can you know, if you just want to go hunt sheep and you're not interested in the trophy, you can apply for U licenses, which are a lot easier to draw. Um but um but beyond that, you know, you can you can uh, become a archery hunter. Archery licenses in Colorado are a little bit easier to draw than rifle tags. But um other than that it's pretty much save your pennies and and uh start looking at booking a hunt
2: how much easier is the archery tag is it like 20,000 for 300 tags versus 28,000 people or is it like substantially better
1: uh you know there it it depends on the unit but there are some units where the odds are surprisingly good primarily because the archery hunters are never successful (laughs) Uh, you know when you look at the success rates they're really bad and, and when people are gambling they're perhaps once in a lifetime chance to hunt sheep, they're not willing to gamble on that unit where nobody has killed a sheep in the last six years. You know, um, it's just because it's really tough. Um, some areas are really tough to hunt, especially with a bow. And, um, you might get the opportunity to hunt sheep, but there's a good chance you're not going get the opportunity to kill a sheep. So it all depends, you know, some of the really good units, uh, for archery hunting sheep in Colorado, are really the odds are just as bad as, as rifle licenses. So,
2: well, you know uh, where I live a good unit or a bad unit? Well,
1: <laughs> uh, you, uh, you, you live in a very good sheep unit, um, they don't have archery licenses down there, but uh, uh, it's a good unit for sheep for sure. Although it's on the decline recently, and uh, there's probably been some disease exposure down there again. Um, that particular herd was closed to hunting for over a decade because it was down to about 45 individuals and at finally after after you know a decade and a half it started to rebound and and uh, got up to where I think CPW was issuing like seven ram licenses but I think that dropped again this year because it's, it's on the decline again there's been low lamb recruitment which is indicative of low level disease in the herd um, you'll see you'll see lambs not surviving through the summer you know they 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 are born and they live you know six to eight weeks and then um, the protection from their the their mother's colostrum starts wearing off and they get infected and they die and and so that's what you see happening in these herds throughout Western Colorado and throughout the West where there's been exposure in the past and they might not suffer an all-age die-off but the disease is present and you have really low lamb recruitment year after year and that's happening down down. Um, in your neck of the woods a little
2: bit. So Since, what can I do to help, uh, help uh, bring the sheep population up around here?
1: You can um, engage the federal agencies when they are renewing domestic sheep permits <laughs> and express your desire to have more bighorn sheep and better protection for bighorn sheep. Um, you can join the organizations that are doing that work as well. Uh, because we don't miss an opportunity to engage in those processes. Um, You can let your elected officials know, state and federal elected officials know that bighorn sheep are important to you and you want to see some solutions. Um, Those are probably, you can let, you know, Colorado parks and wildlife know you can let the wildlife commission know anybody who's making decisions uh, based on how many bighorn sheep and how many domestic sheep we have in the landscape, let them know what, what your priorities are let them know should what's I, important to you
2: should i report like say if i see domestic sheep somewhere in a vicinity that is known for having wild sheep around should i go ahead and report that or is it or is that just being too ticky tacky that they're generally like a base of the park
1: you know i think that it's it's that's a really important point that you bring up you know especially if you see a small group of domestic sheep that don't seem to have anybody around, maybe don't seem to be associated with the big flock, and you know that's in a bighorn sheep area. Definitely report those. You know, that's probably one of the biggest problems with uh, with domestic sheep grazing and wild sheep habitat is that it's nearly impossible to not end up with stray domestic sheep that get away from the main flock, and so then you have issues of those strays not being under the control of the herder and not being under control of the the quote-unquote best management practices, and you can have contacts and not know it. So uh, one of my friends with uh, backcountry hunters and anglers in Durango, Dan Parkinson, started a bighorn sheep observation program down in his neck of the woods in the Weminuche Wilderness about three or four years ago. And I've, I've worked with him. RMBS has worked with BHA on that a little bit, and we've really expanded it. Uh, We've actually expanded it to include all of Colorado now, and um, we are working with a group called Mountain Studies Institute in Durango, and they are compiling all the data that is collected from this Bighorn Sheep Observation Program, and I would encourage everybody to go to that website, um, who's in Colorado and is planning on recreating in Colorado, and take a look at the information that's there, because there are maps posted of... um, where domestic sheep allotments are located and where bighorn sheep habitat is and places that are really important to report observations and there's uh, information about how to report your observations Uh, we're using a, a cell phone app called iNaturalist and if you see something out there either domestic sheep or wild sheep we encourage you to have your location services on on your phone which a lot of us don't turn it on, take a picture of the sheep, and upload it to the website. It literally takes two minutes, and then we have that ocu- that uh, observation documented. And we can keep track, especially of when we might have stray domestic sheep on the landscape. I monitor that website daily. So if you post something, if you posted something yesterday, I'll see it in the morning today. And if it's something that's very concerning, I'll report it to CPW. So go to the Mountain Studies Institute website and take a look at that Bighorn Sheep Observation Program. There's all kinds of information there, uh, ways to report your sightings. Um, There's some uh, more information about the issues. And um, yeah, you'll be ready to go out there and start looking for bighorns and domestics.
0: And that that website, so I just looked it up real quick. It's um, mountainstudies.org would be the website for people looking to track that down.
2: Yeah, I'm looking as well. So a interesting.
0: I think Dan had an article in a BHA magazine a couple of years ago, is that right? Yes, he did. Yep. Okay.
1: He was also featured in a in a cover story in High Country News a couple of years ago. There's a really great story, a really great um, introduction to the issue in southwestern Colorado between domestic sheep and bighorn sheep. I believe that was around August or September 3rd. 2018. If you want to look that up, it's it's a good read.
0: Okay, I'll uh, for everybody listening I'll try to find that link and throw it in our notes for everybody. So you can track that track that down. Um, cool, Terry. Is there
2: um, anything besides sheep
0: we can talk about for a little bit?
2: <laughs> well, we can talk about that uh, that, um, that that Dennis. He's only working for us because he wanted to meet Randy Newberg. And um, <laughs> then kind of, kind of, he got to meet him at the shop just briefly. And you're like, you're, you're like hunting buddies with Randy.
1: Uh, Randy and I are great friends. Randy is so supportive of our organization. He was a uh, guest speaker at our event a couple of years ago. I've He's got, he has a standing invitation to come back whenever he wants you know, he's always asking me, how can I help RMBS? He promotes us on his website. I really appreciate it. And, um, so yeah, um, hang around with RMBS and maybe we can get him back here to Colorado sometime soon. Um, because he's a great advocate to have on our side for sure.
0: Awesome. Deal. Deal. We'll, we'll convince him to come back.
2: We'll, we'll have him stop at Seek side and come in and maybe dennis can maybe we can do a little podcast yeah Yeah.
1: you know he he gets he gets to western colorado occasionally for his uh hunting um he usually doesn't advertise in advance though but uh, i usually know when he's coming so we'll see what Mm. we can do
0: we got got a we got a secret agent on the inside
2: now
1: (laughs) don't tell don't tell randy
2: (laughs) his ears are probably burning now right yeah yeah
1: uh, mountain goats. We want to talk about mountain goats a little bit. Yeah. 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 We, we have a lot of mountain goats in Colorado. Um, in some areas, it's it's a concern that they might be out competing uh, bighorn sheep, believe it or not. And so there've been some efforts in, in some places, the, the maroon bells in particular to really reduce those uh, mountain goat populations because they've really exploded in that area. And uh, there was, there was really, it was, there is really a, um, you can see an inverse, an inverse uh, reaction of the populations. there is the as the bighorn, or as a mountain goat population exploded, the, the bighorn sheep population really declined there. And We don't know if there's causation there, but CPW was wondering about that. And so they, they really increased licenses. And so it's something that, that we keep an eye on throughout Colorado. You know, we, we don't want these, uh, there's some question about whether Mountain goats are native species or not to Colorado? Um, I don't know if anybody's decided um, that issue conclusively. Uh, I've seen some re- old reports that suggest that there were mountain goats here, but at any rate, we have them now. People like to hunt them. You know, we don't want to get rid of mountain goats, but I think it's really important to limit where they spread and to keep them from outcompeting native bighorn sheep herds. And so that's another issue that we've kind of worked with CPW on. There are some areas in Colorado where CPW issues, issues special management licenses uh, to remove these uh, these pioneering mountain goats that are moving into areas where they don't want them. Um, and so that's just another issue that's on the radar. Uh, keep the mountain goats where they're at now. Try to keep their, their populations in check a little bit. And um, maybe we can have both bighorns and mountain goats.
0: In, in mountain goats aren't affected by any diseases like that. They're just more hardy, or
1: you know, they're, they're um, disease the, the same disease that that uh, challenges bighorn sheep has been documented in mountain goats in Nevada. They actually had a die off in Nevada uh, for whatever reason. I, I there don't seem to be a lot of cases in the scientific literature of that happening. It could be a matter of um, mountain goats not being attracted to domestic sheep and so not having the interactions that the wild sh- sheep have so uh that that would be my um that's that's what i would su- suspect there but it, it's hard to say why that's not happening but they don't seem to be having the problems that our bighorn sheep do
2: well, mountain goats don't actually migrate either right they stay very high in the high country all year right
1: right so i mean they're they're for the most part staying in the same areas they're they're wintering in the same places as they summer they're not going to come down to the lower elevations where they might have a better chance of of encountering domestic sheep they're not going to go on these long journeys through non-habitat in the fall like a like a rutting ram will you know you'll have a ram show up in a place that you think is just you know crazy for a bighorn sheep because he's just out you know looking for love uh, mountain goats don't really do that so much. So
2: well, I think we all understand that out looking for love. <laughs> exactly. We, we've all been young. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know,
1: I'll, I'll recount a little story here that happened uh, in uh, actually in, near Grand Junction about uh, four years ago. There was a, a young ram, a young bighorn ram. It was a desert bighorn showed up in a domestic sheep pen in Loma, Colorado. For those of you who aren't familiar, mm. that's just of Grand Junction near the Utah state line. Yeah. And it was actually butting heads with a domestic ram, and it actually killed the ram before the, the landowner killed the bighorn. He had permission from CPW over the phone, go ahead and kill it, which they would have done anyway because of the contact. Mm. And that ram had a radio caller on it from CPW, which had malfunctioned about a year and a half earlier. And so they hadn't gotten a location of this, this bighorn ram for a year and a half. The last location that that caller gave them was about 41 or 42 straight line miles away from where he was killed. Wow. So he had been, he had been hanging out down um, down near Delta along the Gunnison River, and he ended up in Loma, Colorado, about about 41 miles away. So it just gives you an idea of the capabilities of these animals. He had crossed wow. Colorado River.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say he had to cross a couple rivers almost. He crossed yep. our southern.
1: Yep, so so um, they they can travel long, long distances.
0: He crossed yeah. a r- at least one river in an interstate. Yeah, he was a little yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but you wow. know, we have we have we have examples of that kind of movement all throughout the West really um, it's it's one of the challenges that we just face in bighorn sheep management uh, you know when we have a lot of a lot of domestic sheep out there on the landscape
0: yeah. and and all just to chase a lady maybe
1: most likely
2: <laughs> a domestic lady <laughs> and then a someone else's bed that didn't work out very well for him throw down yeah no no Well, awesome, man. Thanks for, um, coming on, uh, today, Terry. Um, can people, where can people find out more? Uh,
1: our website, bighornsheep.org, go check it out. Like I said, we have the raffles going for a few more days. Um, buy some tickets, maybe win a sheep hunt, but more importantly, you'll contribute to maybe us improving some separation for bighorns in Western Colorado and putting more sheep on the mountain so that you can draw a tag in the future.
0: Fantastic. Uh, thanks, Terry. Thanks for thanks for coming on and answering some questions. Uh, I definitely
2: learned a lot, so appreciate that. Yeah, no lie. We'll no, have to catch up again sometime.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime you'll have me.
2: Yeah,
0: you, you just got to let us know when Newberg's in town again.
1: <laughs> well, I, Maybe, yeah. I might be able to do that.
2: <laughs>
0: just don't tell him. Yeah. I'll be quiet. I'll, yeah, nobody nobody's gonna hear this anyway. So
2: We're not let him yeah. to his podcast. he's got his own. <laughs> That's
0: right. All right. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, gentlemen. Hey, everyone. Real quick, before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. And If you've been enjoying what you're hearing, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcast. Thank you.